Yeah, I was just saying, is it okay around here if I don't know the answer to say I don't know? I hope it's okay with you all over there, because I'm not going to give you just pew out anything just because it sounds good. I, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. So, Exodus 12. Now we just found out that Paul was talking about some that were disqualified from taking communion. And he, he showed in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, it said that those that are not discerning the Lord's body are those that will eat in an unworthy manner. And so I, in the last hour, I revealed, I, I shared with you that if the same benefits that belong to the children of Israel belong to us when we partake of communion, therefore, the same distinction, the same uh, uh, disqualification that apply to the children of Israel will be, will be the disqualification or the restriction or the limitation that will belong to us. Because we saw that Paul said that to take to that not discerning the Lord's body, discern is diacrino, that means make a distinction distinction, thoroughly separate. And so we have to go back to Exodus chapter 12 and to see what were the restrictions that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. And so in verse 15 of Exodus 12 through verse 20, we find out some of the restriction. He um, says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Or you could say disqualified, removed. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be... Um, a holy convocation for you. No matter, no matter of work shall be done in them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies, let me see the light, um, out of the land of Egypt, therefore you shall observe the, this day throughout your generation as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, uh, you shall eat unleavened bread again until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house. Notice the words, the, the, the number seven, amen, uh, in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened on, in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. We see here that the first restriction is they had to remove any trace of leaven in their house. And they had to eat unleavened bread on the first day and then for seven days. And we even, you know, as the 
Jewish culture, when they, uh, what they do, they take a little feather and they go across all their house as a sign of removing all leaven. And in a Jewish family, you know, on the Shabbat, you know, what they do is they go and take anything that is not kosher or anything that has leaven in it and they remove it and put it in a place totally away from their place in another place of where they dwell. Amen. And so we see here that they had to eat nothing leavened. Amen. And the second restriction is found uh, in verse 43 through 48 of the same chapter. I know what you're thinking. Verse 48 through uh, 43, excuse me, through 48. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, that is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat, shall eat it, but every man's servant who is uh, bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. In other words, only those who were circumcised, whether it were men of the house or servants, amen, uh, they had to be circumcised. They, they were the only one allowed to eat um, of the Passover lamb. And then he may eat it. A surgeoner or a stranger and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break uh, one of the, its bones. All of the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you, wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, he shall, um, all his male have to be circumcised. And then to him, oh, I'm not seeing, put it in the light. Um, and when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it and he shall be a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. So we see here in when God, and we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you can later if you want. But you can see here that in the ordinance of the Passover lamb, the only two restrictions that God gave to the people of Israel were to no leaven in their house. They had to eat unleavened bread the first day and seven days after that. And then the person that could only eat of the Passover lamb were the people who were circumcised whether they were hired servants, whether they were strangers. And what is interesting is on that night, some of the Egyptians were smart enough to join the ranks. And they had to be circumcised. And so we see that they were, these were the only restriction that applied to the Passover lamb. So that means that if these were the two restrictions and limitation or, lim uh, 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 or qualification uh, for the children of Israel, these are the same for us. But what does it mean to us? Amen. I'm so glad you asked. The number one is that we have to be circumcised. And you're like, oh my gosh, 
<laughs> what does this mean? Be cool, be calm. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 2.29, he said, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Something happened when you and I gave our heart to Jesus. There was a circumcision in our heart, a circumcision of the flesh. And you know that this is what circumcision is, is that you have to be vulnerable, expose yourself, your most intimate part, sorry for the figure, and you have to, there is a cutting of the flesh, and you are circumcised as a sign of the covenant between you and God. But for you and I, the circumcision is no longer of the flesh or of the letter, but it is a circumcision of our heart. That's why, you know, oftentimes they, 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 the, when there is a, 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 a repentance, when, you know, godly sorrow brings forth repentance or a changing of the mind or a turning of life. And at that moment, when we accept Jesus, our heart is circumcised. There is a sign of a God's covenant within our heart. And what happens when you are circumcised in your heart? There is a cutting in your heart. When you do something outside of the covenant, it hurts. Amen. And even, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, um, I don't know how it was for you, but I remember when I accepted Jesus. No, nobody told me about Jesus. I had a supernatural encounter with God, and I did not. I was a little Catholic who never didn't know anything about God, nothing. But when I was in my room and the Spirit of God fell upon me, something came in my heart, and I just. Talk, ask God to, to help me, to save me. I don't know what I said. But at that moment, there was such a spirit, such a, uh, 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 I started to cry and cry. And I didn't know why, but there was a cutting of my heart. At that moment, there was like a shoom, where I knew something happened on the inside of me. And then you and I know that there was a peace that passes all understanding that just filled our being. And at that moment, there was the inward witness, Romans 8, 16, that bore witness that you were a child of God. There was that sign, that circumcision, that sign of the covenant that you are now part of the covenant. You belong to the family. You are inside the house. You can't partake of the lamb. Amen. Hallelujah. And then the second restriction was they had to remove all of the leaven from the house. And the only bread they were allowed to eat was bread with that leaven. The first day and then seven days. And you know that seven is the word for perfection. You know, like there is seven days in the week. Amen. Seven shows a continuity, something that is so perfect that you have to continue to do it. But here the question is, what is leaven? That we arrive to the big, the big thing, don't we? What is leaven? Contrary to what most people think 
or what most people have been taught, leaven is not sin. We've got to stay with the Bible, don't we? What does Jesus say about it? Luke 12, verse 1, Jesus revealed. And you know, the New Testament brings us revelation from the Old Testament. And the revelation that we have from the New Testament is a perfect revelation. Because you remember what Hebrew 1.3 says, that Jesus is the express image, the imprint, the perfect revelation of the Father. If you want to, he said, until this day, no one had seen God. And so, therefore, when you see or hear what Jesus say, you know it's perfection. It's the truth. He was full of grace and truth. And so what does Jesus say about it? In Luke 12, 1, he says, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is sin. Oh, some of you were asleep. <laughs> I caught you. No, no, no. I'm joking. No, here it says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. And what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, the, I looked at the definition. It says it's to play a role like an actor. To pretend to be something you're not. To deceive, and listen to this, to deceive and perp... I'm going to try to say it. Purposefully, purposefully give a false impression of who you really are. Have you ever heard that, you know, people say, I don't want to go to the church, it's full of hypocrites. What they really want to say is that there are people, they know them. They know how they live six days of the week. And then they come to church going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. They see those people and then they go to church and pretend like goody tissue, like everything is good, everything in purpose, hallelujah, praise the Lord. There is a double standard. And so Jesus says, beware of the hypocrisy, the leaven, which is hypocrisy. So for you and I, what disqualifies us from taking communion is to approach God with a deceitful heart, with hypocrisy, pretending to be somebody we're not. Now, let me, let me back paddle a little bit. Yes, Lord, thank you. Let me back paddle a little bit. For the, the circumcision. Let me think a second. Oh, how do I do that, Lord? Okay, let me move along. Yes, Lord. So we're talking about the leaven, which is hypocrisy. So here, Paul, uh, uh, Jesus is telling us that the leaven is hypocrisy. Paul even talks about it. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, according to Paul, hypocrisy is a heart full of falsehood, deception, and malice. And what is malice? Malice is the intention of wanting to hurt somebody without a reason. That's malice. So 
Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul also reveals to us, amen, and if you notice it's in the context of communion, right? Paul reveals to us here that, again, leaven is playing a part. To have a heart that is false, deceitful, and wicked. And did you notice in the Bible that wickedness is different from a sinner? When in the Bible it talks about the wicked, it's not talking about the sinner. It's always a difference, the sinner and the wicked. Remember someone? It makes a distinction between the sinner and the wicked. Why? Because the wicked, they sin intentionally, purposefully, with delight and desire and intention. They want to hurt people. They do it with malice. They do it with purpose. Do you see the difference? Somebody, a sinner, is somebody who sins. But a wicked is somebody that not only sins, but delights in it and wants and do it with intention, with purpose, and wants to even hurt others and deceive. Amen. So in light of all of that, what does this mean to us? Because you guys know that in this new covenant, God's, God does not focus on our actions, does he? He focuses on our heart. In Mark 7, 6, we see that Jesus said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Here again, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, with their hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God, but their heart is far from me. Jesus reveals what is the heart of a hypocrite. It's somebody who pretends to be a Christian, who hallelujahs and praise the Lord, who is in church, but doesn't mean that his heart is for God. Paul, in this passage, was pointing out two things to us. When he says, don't, the one that eats unworthily not discerning the Lord's body was pointing out things to us, pointing out to the restriction of the Passover lamb. He was pointing out, he said, judge, examine yourself before you eat of the Passover lamb. Look into your heart before you take of the Passover lamb. Why? Because he was pointing out uh, that there were some that were in, remember, rightly discerning the Lord body, rightly separating, making a distinction, separating thoroughly. Why? Because there were some that were in the church, but they were not in Christ. And you and I know that it's still there today. You can go in a church and people can go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And they can be 
in the church, but it doesn't mean that they are in Christ. And Paul says, hey, examine yourself. Check your heart. Make sure that you are truly circumcised of the heart. Make sure that you are truly part of the covenant, that you are truly born again. Because remember the Passover lamb. If you are in Christ, the the judgment will go over you. The plague will go over you. But if you are outside, what was happening to them? Judgment. The world, there is judgment for the world. Don't look at me so innocent. <laughs> and here, in another word, there is no, he was saying, you've got to examine yourself because there are those who are in the church, but they are not part of the covenant. They have not been circumcised. So therefore, make a distinction. Take the time. Uh, tell people to examine themselves. And those that are really not, that they examine themselves, and if they know they're not part of the covenant, then they need to be. And don't let them take communion. Amen. And, and, and they shouldn't take communion. Warn them. And that's the thing he was, he was talking about. We've got a perfect example of that in Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes we read the Bible so fast that we don't look and see it, a one little word that can change everything. You remember, we, we see, for example, uh, Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts chapter uh, um, 5, verse 1. It says, but a certain man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. There were a certain men. But you know what I noticed? I went to Acts. In chapter 9, verse 10, it's talking about another Ananias. But you know what it says? But a certain disciple named Ananias. What does it mean? Ananias that went and prayed for Paul was a disciple. He was circumcised. He was truly a born-again Christian. But the Ananias and Sapphira, why did the author saw it necessary to say a certain man? If they had been part of the church, they would have written, but disciples Ananias or Christian Ananias or whatever, but a certain man. We see here the distinction and what happened to them. They, messed, they, 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 they came and came in the church pretending to be something and somebody they were not. Not only were they not circumcised, but their heart was full of leaven, full of hypocrisy. They saw Barnabas being blessed because he sold his land, gave it at the feet of the apostle. And he said, wow, look, at they got, he got some kind of favor. He got a place by the apostle. And now he's traveling, you know, he's doing this and that. And they had plotted deceitfully, intentionally, purposefully deceived and manipulated and went pretending to be somebody they were not and deceived the, the church. And, what, and we know what happened to them. So that's what Paul is talking about and pointing to us. Amen. Paul was also pointing out, amen, that some in the church had leaven in their heart. 
had hypocrisy in their heart. They were in the church. They were among the disciples and the believers and the apostles, like Ananias and Sapphira, pretending to be Christian, and they were not. And he said, you know, you have got to remove that leaven. You have got, and here is another example. In James 3.16, James says, for where there is envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. Paul was even talking that in the church, there were those that had a lot, that ate a lot. There was envy, there was strife, there was competition, there was jealousy, and there was every, uh, every evil work. And sickness is evil work. Amen? They were opening the door to the enemy, opening the door with a strife, competition, jealousy. So Paul was saying, remove the leaven, Remove the hypocrisy. Remove all of that. And we also have a good example with Judas. To show you that there is a difference between somebody that makes mistakes and sins from the one that with leaven in their heart intentionally, purposefully, deceitfully does something wrong. And God separates the two. You look at it with me in John 13, verse 27. You remember Judas? He was with the disciple, wasn't he, at the Last Supper. He partook of communion of the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. But look what John 13, 27 says. Oh, let me go to it and read the whole thing. John 13. I want to hurry because I want to leave some time for the question. John 13. What verse did I say? 27. Uh, let me just back up a little. Um, verse 24. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke the one who was going to betray Jesus, amen? And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, uh, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have uh, dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, oh wow, I hope you see that. Yes. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. What happened? I mean, and here is something interesting. What did Judah do? He betrayed Jesus, right? But we see him that he partook of communion with a deceitful, a, a heart full of leaven, full of hypocrisy, full of deceit, full of intention to do wrong and sin. And when he took communion, opened the door, Satan entered into him and he betrayed Jesus, right? But you notice of no somebody else that betrayed Jesus? Who else betrayed Jesus? Peter. Peter took the bread, didn't he? And he betrayed Jesus three times, didn't he? But why was Peter not judged and condemned? Because what Peter did, he did it with a 
truthful heart, a heart full of sincerity and truth, a heart not wanting to sin, a heart not wanting to do wrong. Do you see the difference? So it is not a problem taking communion. It is not a problem of our action, what we do and don't do. It is a heart problem. The restriction that belongs to us are not restriction that we can judge according to the flesh or according to someone's action and behavior. It has to be the heart and only the person can judge their heart. And that's what Paul is sending a call saying, hey guys, examine your heart, examine yourself. Do you see something there? And so that means that if you are truly circumcised, that means you are born again, and your heart really, and all of us, if you truly are born again, your heart doesn't want to sin, does it? Romans 7.22 said, I delight in the law. And the law of God is talking about the will of God, the 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 the, the the will of God, the, 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 who God is, what God wants to do. I delight in the law of God, the doctrine of God, according to the inward man. When you are born again, you are circumcised in your heart. Your heart does not want to sin. Amen. You might make some mistake. We all do. But when you make a mistake, the very fact that it bothers you shows that your heart is circumcised. And the very fact that you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Even if it's something that you have a, you're wrestling with, you have a hard time dealing with, something you don't want to do but you keep on doing. Don't feel disqualified to take communion. No, that's where you've got to go. That's the reason why in Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures by the still waters. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil for your rod and your staff are with me. And you prepare a table in the very presence of all your enemies. What are your enemies? Sickness is your enemy. Bad habit are your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Addiction is your enemy. Depression is your enemy. Whatever your enemy is at the given moment, that enemy, you can conquer it at the table by taking communion. So don't think, oh, I'm wrestling with that addiction or wrestling with that bad habit and I cannot, I'm not qualified. No, you go, you run boldly to the table because that's where there will be grace. Grace to receive forgiveness and grace that divine ability. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That divine ability to overcome whatever enemies you're facing. That's the grace. That's the mercy. That's the table of the Lord. It's that table of communion. Oh, glory to God. That's what Psalm 34 verse 8 says. Oh, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, when you do that thing or whatever it is 
that bothers you and it just bothers your heart, it shows you, I am circumcised in my heart. I don't want to do. And my heart, there is no hypocrisy. You see, that's what God wants. He wants us to go. He doesn't want us to go to him and tell him what we think he wants to hear. No, he wants us to go to him with an open heart, transparency, sincerity, truth, honesty, and say, Father God, I just, I'm so, I just struggling with that thing. And I need your grace. And you go to the table and you take communion and you receive his love. You receive his goodness. You taste that he's good. You receive that grace, that strength, that divine ability to oversee right there. As I take the bread, as I drink the cup, I remind myself that there is only but love, acceptance and goodness and hope for me. And I take the bread knowing that all oh, right there, I can be free from my enemy. I can be strengthened, healed and courage, hallelujah, free from whatever it is. Somebody even came to me earlier and saying, as you were, I hope that's okay for me to to say it, but she said, said, as you were talking, I realized that I had something, procrastination that I've been dealing with, trying to get rid of, and right here, I realized that I can take communion and get rid of that thing. Amen. 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 You know, bondage is not just the big devil, the big one with the horn. It's just like any little nagging little thing that holds you back and slows you down. But we have to remove the leaven. We've got to remove the pretense. We've got to remove the trying to be somebody we're not. We've got to be transparent and we've got to be honest with God and says, God, because he knows to start with. But it requires us to be so transparent with him. And did you notice there is a way to be transparent and honest and be in faith? Because we can think, well, if I tell God my, you know, this and this and this, am I going to be like negative and complaining or, you know, I mean, let's be honest. We got to do like David did. He had his butt in the right place. David said, I am depressed. I am this. I'm struggling with that. Oh, Lord, what a da 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 But I know that you are my God, my strength, my fortress, my strong tower. But he, that's what I love about David. It's his honesty. That's why he was called the man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. And that's who we, and that's what it is about communion. To, be, to have a heart of David, to, to know that our heart doesn't want to do wrong, but our heart sometimes struggles. But we're going to be honest. We remove all the leaven. We are so open. Not, oh, hallelujah. And we go to the table to taste and good that is, to see that he's good and receive that grace that we need, that love that we need, that healing that we need, that encouragement, whatever it is. Amen. Okay, now let's just stop and do Q&A. Sorry that it took a little while. No, don't be sorry. That was awesome. We need to hear that. This is really good. Honestly, we have no questions. Oh, from that the, means from, that I uh, answered from, from all the, the questions. But we do have one here. Okay, so good, we'll go, good. We'll start here. Thank you. That's good news. That means I answered a lot of questions. <laughs> didn't I? Yes, you did. And thank you so much. It's been awesome. I wanted to know, you said that um, it's up to the person to judge their heart. However, if you see um, issues of envy, strife, 
and every evil work. How do you pray for that believer who is struggling with that in um, a church setting? How do you pray for that person? You mean uh, before taking communion? Well, just you, you know that um, this person is full of strife. strife. And full yeah. of how do you pray for the or how do you pray for the person? How, do you, how would you deal with that? How do that? you approach it? Yes, yes, please. Well, number one, are you in place of leadership? Um, if you see that it's a fellow believer, um, for me, I would, it's, it's kind of odd because, you know, in, so there's different settings. You can have a small setting where there is more freedom, where you can go and talk to the person and, you know, pray for that person that the Holy Ghost would reveal, you know, the matters of the heart, um, you know, and pray for that. You know, that's the reason you remember when Paul prayed and for that guy that committed, you know, fornication with his father's wife. And he says, I give him over for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Because that guy was sinning in the church, really without pretending to be somebody he was not. But yet his heart was full of, uh, of, mal of, of, of no intention to change, no intention to do anything else. No, he just sinned openly, not, a, not ashamed of it, not, you know. And that's what, how Paul dealt with it. He went to him and said, you're going to have to tell him to take him out of the church until the Holy Ghost does a work in his heart. And that, at that time, settings was different because it was a small body of believers. Now we have mega churches, big churches. It's a little harder to do. But you can pray for Holy Spirit to speak to the person's heart and to reveal, you know, what, what is in that she needs to change and repent. I, I don't know if that answered. Because today, I mean, if, if you approach a person in a church, whether you're in leadership or whether you're a friend and you talk to the person, the person will go get offended and hop to another church and take her problem somewhere else, you know. So it's, and, and here is another, be led by the Spirit. There is no, that's what I love about the New Testament, this new covenant with God. There is no cookie cutter, you know, met, we, we are not to walk in what I call methods and principle, we are to walk with Holy Spirit, to be led by Him. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And if we learn to develop that relationship with Holy Spirit, He can get, guide us how to approach different situations or different problems uh, according to what is in the person's heart, because Him only knows the heart. Amen. Um. Yeah, by the way, this was amazing revelation, this, this lecture. Like, thank you. Uh, I have a question that always bothered me about that destroying, destroyer angel that comes and Yeah, kills. the joy of so destruction. So who, who was that from? Was it from God or was it from That's Satan? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I believe that God is a God of justice. And just like we know in the book of Revelation, there, are, there is going to be judgment and there are going to be angels that will go through the earth to execute judgment. You know, so uh, like Andrew says, you know, everybody's got an opinion and it's got holes in it. Uh, it's like a nose, right? And it's got nose uh, holes in it. So my what I believe is that that angel of destruction was from God, but to execute righteous judgment. 
because the righteous, and it's a type and shadow of the church and the world. The church, when judgment will come on the world, you know, uh, during the tribulation, the church will be under, you know, will not be under that judgment, will be. So that's what, you know, that's what I, I, I think. So, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it because I don't have a 100%, you know, surety, whether that angel is from God or it's the devil. You know, I kind of think it's from God because I have a hard time thinking God is going to work in partnership with the devil. I don't, so, but anyway, and you can ask God to reveal to you what you think. Amen. Okay, we have a question from Washington, D.C. Go ahead. <laughs> they have not unmuted themselves yet. Washington, D.C., go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question about the seven-year-old taking communion. Isn't that Washington, D.C.? A seven-year-old taking communion. Would Let's the question be like, are children allowed yes. to take communion? I'll just ask it here. I usually have to ask for an extra communion cup for my daughter, who is seven. Typically, the usher is hesitant to hand me a second cup for her. Is there an issue with children taking communion? My answer is, if that child has accepted Jesus, I'm like, hey, she's circumcised in her heart. She's part of the covenant. She has a covenant with God, whether she is seven years old or, you know, 20 or 50 or 99 years old. If she's part of the covenant, she has a right to partake of the covenant. But, you know, at seven years old, I, you know, I'm amazed sometimes. That's why I'm so blessed when I hear children or teenagers that hear the word and learn. Because sometimes the mistake we make is that we, in children's church or youth program, we give them watered down, diluted gospel and truth. No, give them the real thing. Make it simple, but teach them the word. And that seven-year-old can write their exercise of faith as she takes communion. If she, you know, if mom knows that her daughter loves Jesus and accepted Jesus in her heart, then why should she be disqualified? Amen. Uh, yes, thank you. What would it look like to take communion at home for yourself? Oh, I love, thank you for asking this question. God bless you. You guys are awesome. You're asking great questions. Um, you know, I love it. I take communion at home all the time because I've go, I go in some places where they say, no, 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 you can only take communion in the church. Well, you know, when they were taking communion in the New Testament, they were in homes. Small groups, big groups, they were, you know, and oftentimes we, we take, you know, communion only, you know, taking the cup and the wafer. Sometimes you can have a meal with somebody. Very often, you know, when I have people, guests in my homes, and I invite them for dinner, and, and very often I say, let's just go and take communion together and pray. And we do that, you know, and, and pray and take communion and, and, and release our faith. So I knew I remember Smith Wigglesworth. All of you know who Smith Wigglesworth was, right? 
He took communion every day. Before he started his day, he would take communion. Why? He would do it in remembrance of his covenant with God. And he would start his day remembering that he was loved and forgiven. He was out of judgment. He was no longer, he was under the blood of Jesus. And he would release his faith to receive strength, to receive, you know, uh, uh, healing if he needed, strength, direction, and whatever he needed, he would start his day like this. Amen. So, amen. I say, yes, take communion at home. And if you have, you know, little Bible studies or whatever at home, do take communion as a group. Amen. Thank you for asking that question. Very good. Now we have a question from CBC Indianapolis. Carmen, go ahead. Hey, Carmen. Unmute yourself okay. and... Hello. You mentioned seven cups, and then you talked about two cups. I've never heard that before. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, um, we saw in different Gospels, uh, in, in, we saw in Luke, it mentions the cup twice, before the bread, before uh, and after. In another gospel, it mentions the cup only once. They took the cup, then they took, uh, they took the bread, then the cup. Uh, but I remember going to a Seder with a Messianic Jew, and he did the whole Passover Seder. And um, I, I have to admit that I, I'm not 100% sure about the seven cup, but I remember there were different cups. I can go back home, get my little book and look at it. Or you can, you know, Google it, the setter, the cups of the Lord. But I know there were different cups. And every time they, they took that, you know, through the setter or through the, and I'm talking about the Jewish Passover that they celebrate today as a nation, as a Jewish family. There were different cups. And every time they would take that cups, they would speak a blessing and they would declare God of the universe, uh, who we know, and the fruit of the vine. And they would speak different blessing through the setter, through the Passover meal. So I, I am so sorry that um, I say seven cups, but I'm because I think in the back of my head somewhere, I think I kind of remember that, but I'm not 100% sure. So that's something you're going to have to check. Hey, hi, I'm Michelle. Hey, Rochelle. So nice to have you here today. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited about the revelation you've given us. Thank you. Um, two things that I keep going through my mind is one is the remembrance. So keep doing this yes. in remembrance. And I'm so glad that he asked that question so that we can do it more often than we have in our churches once a quarter Amen. or once a month. So continually doing it in remembrance. The other thing that, I'm, that you got me juiced about, and I can't wait to go home and study more, is the leaven and the revelation of what leaven really means. And I actually looked it up in Webster Dictionary because I love Webster. And he says, anything that brings corrupting assimilation change in the mass. So I was wondering if you've done like a study on leaven and how it's mentioned. And is it always referencing hypocrisy or can it also mention mm -hmm. other things that are well, Jesus brought into the mass? In one of his parables, Jesus mentioned leaven but in a positive way, as an agent that brings change and growth. 
So the leaven, you know, when he talks about the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy, that was a negative aspect, a, a corruption. It says even corruption, something that's going to corrupt, um, you know, the rest of the people. We, we I even mentioned that guy that committed fornication with his stepmother. You know, it, if Paul didn't deal with them right there, it would have corrupted the whole church. That's why he had to be removed, and, 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 and they stopped praying for him as a church. And then what happened? Judgment came on him from, you know, from the, 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 the flesh, from Satan. And finally, he just said, whoa, I've got to wake up. I, and, and, and not only was he cut off from the fellowship of the brethren, but all of a sudden, Satan, it opened the door, Satan, the prayers were not taking off the, 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 the attacks of the enemy, and then he was being under attack, and he realized, I need to change. His heart starting to, you know, uh, to change, and he returned, and then they restored him. And so uh, the leaven that Jesus talked about was the, the kingdom of God. It's like leaven. The kingdom of God, you know, the word of God will act as a, an agent that will spread and transform in a positive way. Amen. So um, the the you know when God started to to teach me and show me those revelation about the leaven and communion and the Passover, um, I I looked at all the words leaven through the Bible and I discovered really I think that only place where Jesus talked about it in a positive way as a agent that will change and transform its environment. But then you could, you know, go beyond, do your own study and share it with me. Amen. <music>